Welcome to Growth Hack by Poppy Digital. Tips and tricks to master the algorithms from industry insiders. Now here's your host, Julian Espinoza. Welcome back to Growth Hack, where we break down marketing channels like Google, Facebook, Instagram, and show them how to make them work for you. Everyone responsible for marketing wants their company not to be forgotten. From an initial purchase to referrals, being remembered is important. The internet is so busy, and it's only getting busier. How do you become memorable? This episode will give you one key aspect on how not to be forgotten. We bring in Justin Blackman to talk about your company's voice and how you say things will affect consumer purchasing behavior. Justin dives deeper into brand voice than anyone ever should. He finds the quirks between the commas to establish new rules for writers and teaches content teams how to add consistency to their content. He uses a process called brand ventriloquism to match any brand's writing style and has written for over more than 429 clients. He has created voice guides for industry experts, including Amy Porterfield, Stu McLaren, Haley Hobson, Melissa Griffin, and several SaaS websites you've never heard of. Welcome, Justin. Happy to be here. So let's get right into it. So this is something really interesting, Justin. I'm really excited about this episode because... The internet, as we all know, in the last decade, it's become very competitive, uh, and it's created this need to really stand out, you know. And it seems like the loudest brands that leave impressions, you know, have something unique. What do you think that is? And, and, and talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I think we're seeing a shift right now. It used to be that the the loudest ones were were always the busiest ones, but I think the being that the fact that the internet gives everybody a voice, it also gives everybody ears. And if you listen long enough, you're going to find some of the softer voices that might resonate a little bit more with you. So I think it's not necessarily being loud. It's just talking about the right things. And it's your approach, um, whether you're coming at it with, uh, with more of an ethical uh, background or, a, or an origin or more aggressive or um, more goal-oriented or different tactics there's so many people looking for very specific things right now that as long as you're talking about the right thing to the right person, it really doesn't matter what the volume of your voice is. You just need to be found. So you talk about this idea of saying the right thing. Can you explore that a little bit deeper? Every brand, like it used to be, you just had a, a couple of different selections and you would see a television commercial and that was the only product that you knew about. Now, everybody has Google or a DuckDuckGo or whatever site you're using or Mozilla or Firefox, depending on your ethics or your browsers or your um, even your purchases, if you're using Safari versus Chrome, everybody has these little things that they like to do differently. And all of these brands stand out to someone and they're all built with, uh, with an ethos to them. Um, whether it's like, you know, like for instance, Mozilla with Firefox, like they are all about privacy and respect and things like that. Whereas Chrome is more about just ease and connecting to everything. Uh, Safari is like specifically for Apple and you like that if you're a little bit of the, the square peg in the round hole um, built, built for the, the creatives. So everybody has something that they're identifying with. And these brands that are using their voice to, to let people self-select into them and to find them, um, to stand out by planting a flag into some hill as opposed to just sort of being the one and only thing for everyone. Um, those are the ones that people are, are noticing 
and seeking and finding. I mean, people have a problem with certain products and we're at a great point where there tends to be a solution to almost every one of them. You talk about voice like it's this like living, breathing human that people are attracted to. Can you can you diagnose and not maybe kind of inspect this idea? What is a voice for a company? What, what does that even look like? So a voice is basically your verbal identity or a written identity. Um, I make a very clear distinction between voice and personality. And like a lot of people will be like, oh, we're, we're friendly. Friendly is not a voice. Friendly is a personality. Friendly can come out with your brand, your, your visual brand, with your colors. It can come out with your offers. It can come out with the, the name that you have. It comes out with the, the culture, the, um, the way that the employees interact with you. All The whole experience could be friendly. The voice has to get much more specific. And it has to do with the, the specific words that you choose. It has to do with the rhythm of your writing, the, the sound of it, the flow of it. Um, it has to do with the emotions behind it. So essentially, I look at voice and I define it as three different elements. It's your vocabulary, the word choice that you use, the tone, which are the emotions, and the cadence, which is that rhythm. So that's the voice. It's the way that it hits your ears or actually even your eyes if you're looking at text on a page. It's that very specific element that we can put boundaries on and define how that's supposed to reflect the overall brand personality. How do we navigate this intention? How do we navigate? How do we see a brand that's actually spending time on their voice? Like, wh- what is this? Is this is this new? Is this is this something that's been around for a long time? Talk talk to us. So brand is brand voice is always there. It's one of these things that sometimes uh, companies will be like, "We're too busy figuring out our product. Our brand voice will come later," and they're just putting stuff out. Meanwhile, that brand voice is being developed by whatever they put out. And when they get time to focus on it, that's when they can direct it a little bit more. Like, hey, you know what? This post that we put out really resonated with people. There's something here. Maybe we should dive into that. And then they sort of craft a brand voice afterward. Some brand voice, or some brands start with a distinct brand voice, and then they might find out that it's not working. So it can evolve. It is a, a breathing, living thing that is meant to grow with you and evolve. I mean, times change. Uh, the social landscape changes, everything, even the media that we're, we're, we're digesting the content through changes. And you have to adapt to the times and to the mediums. So there are ways that you do want to become more deliberate about like how you sound on LinkedIn versus Instagram. Two completely different areas and you need to be deliberate about that approach. Um, and you, you, your voice is a lot of change depending on the platform. And the more you keep the reader in mind, the more you'll understand how to talk to them. And a full a full marketing strategy will factor all of that in. And we're, we're going to make a huge leap here. <laughs> it's not that huge. It's probably pretty small. If you're intentional about it, it's probably going to pay dividends on the back end. Being intentional about your voice, I mean, is that is that pretty fair to say? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it adds consistency. Uh, there's a term that some of my students use with, of uh, voice whiplash where if you jump from one platform to another and it sounds completely different, you just be like, whoa, who is that? It's like all of a sudden you kind of like jolt your neck back. Like this is completely different. I don't know who this brand is. I don't know who this person is. I don't know if they're, they're A or B and it's, it's jarring and you lose the trust. So if you do approach it with more intent, 
and uh, kind of figure those elements out and build that consistency, it develops a trust in, in the reader and uh, makes people become more loyal to the brands. You want users and people and, and your consumer to trust you. And so this inconsistency can, can feel uh, different. And, and it's not something that probably, I'm assuming, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, it's not something that people literally are reading something on the screen, watching a video and going, hey, that voice changed. It's something you feel deep inside that you maybe can't articulate, but it's a feeling you get. Does that sound about right? Well, if it's done really poorly, then you can notice a difference. And things like that will happen in a Facebook ad. Like you might um, see a really funny ad and then you click to it and it's just this vanilla landing page or a video of just this like average Joe and you've lost all the humor. And then you bounce, you get like a, like an 78 to 84% bounce rate if that, that voice match isn't there. If it's consistent, you don't notice it. It just continues the flow. It's just sort of walking down the trail and you're, you're eventually, you're heading toward where you are, where you want to go as opposed to feeling like you took a wrong turn. So you mentioned humor. So the assumption is there's probably a laundry list of different types of styles and approaches. And uh, maybe don't go into every single one of them, maybe kind of cover them for, for us so the audience can understand what you mean by different voice styles. And then maybe can you talk about the ones that have stood out and sort of like come to the top as to the ones that have really done well, maybe in the last several years? Sure. Humor is something that can be used effectively, but rarely is. <laughs> um, the thing is sometimes brands will see something funny and be like, oh, we want to do that too. And they'll approach it wrong or they'll try to go too much for the laugh. But the fact is when, when humor is done right with a brand voice, it's really supporting everything that the brand is standing for. It's not just funny for the sake of being funny. And sometimes you get that in like Super Bowl commercials where, you know, people laugh and they talk about it for a day, but then it's just gone as opposed to the ones that really support the brand message and the theme and, and the overall idea of the brand that, that resonate. And um, humor is, uh, is used to um, create more attention and get people to pay attention. Uh, there's a great line, and I'm forgetting the, the name of the person who said it, but they said, the height of listening comes after a laugh. And if you watch any TED Talk or anything uh, even movies, um, or the end of a comedian's special, they'll usually end with a joke, then the room will go silent, and then they'll say something very powerful. Because your brain has become alert, and you're like, wait, something's different here. I want to know what's about to happen next. So that's key. You're not, most brands aren't there just to tell another joke. That's a comedian's job. A brand is there to deliver the power of the message. And a lot of them fail to do that. They think that being funny is the way to stand out. The brands that do it well, uh, anything by the Harmon Brothers Advertising Agency, they've done Purple Mattress, Squatty Potty, um, Lumi Deodorant, if you guys have seen those ads. If you take the humor out of those ads, they are still great ads. The humor is there to make you pay attention and to be more memorable, but the ads work. They're built, in, they're built on great copywriting and advertising foundations. And the humor is just there to support it, but it never gets in the way. And that's where having very distinct brand voices will, will address how the humor is supposed to support the message rather than interfere with it. 
Can you talk about a couple other examples that you've seen work well aside from humor? So you've got brands like Dove, um, who has changed from just being the soap that was like 99% pure, uh, the one that floated in the bathtub. Um, They had cool features to them, but now their brand voice is about female empowerment and they're getting behind causes and their messaging is more gentler and more direct toward a cause. And it's, it's tapping into people's emotions rather than just clean skin. So you see a shift in the words that they use. You see a shift in the message. Um, a lot of times they'll actually stop talking and let the imagery do the words. And that's part of a brand voice too, is sometimes you're silent. Um, the, the standing up for social causes and getting behind beliefs. Um, those are things that are really powerful that you're starting to see come into a brand voice and allowing um, companies to differentiate themselves from the masses, even if they are category leaders to, to stand up for a cause. That's very interesting. Um, and, and maybe worth, um, uh, talking about on a different episode, hopefully we can get you back. Um, and I know you're only going to get busier, <laughs> so, uh, we'll, we'll try to get you back soon because this is, this this whole conversation about social causes and then really this like idea of a lot of brands being, uh, flamed for slacktivism and being flamed for this idea that they're just following you know, following what, what, what's popular and what's trendy, they don't really support it. It's just what's trending. Have you, can you, maybe you can talk to that just briefly. Yeah. It's sort of like every October, how, how every product becomes pink. Um, it's just sort of the riding the bandwagon and, uh, you know, sometimes not making a choice is your choice. And it used to be that you could kind of get away and slide under the radar. Um, these days you get called out for, for not making that choice because people want to work with brands that they feel good about it. We have so many choices of where to spend our money that if we feel that our dollar is going to go to a cause that we don't support, then we're not going to spend that dollar anymore. So it's, it's a dangerous thing because you risk alienating a lot of your audience, but it's starting to become important to the consumer and this is uh, this is the landscape that we're all just adjusting to. Absolutely, and you've actually got a pretty slick way of handling these things. Um, you have this thing called a voice guide um, that you that you guys make. Can you talk to us, like, who invented these voice guides? What are they, and what's inside of them? So, it comes from a place. I got into it really deep because I used to work for a brand that had a very complete brand guide. And it talked about the exact shade of Pantone color that you should use, how many pixels away from the corner your logo should be, all the photo treatments. Our designers knew exactly what to do. But when it came to the voice, to the actual writing, they're like, oh, we're friendly and we're casual. And we've already said that those are kind of personalities. That's not a voice. And it got to the point where Every time I wrote, my copy was reviewed by 12 different people who had 12 different opinions and they were all right. And it became impossible to get anything done consistently. And I dove into this and uh, I'm now a partner with, uh, with Abby Woodcock, who is the one that sort of created uh, the idea of a, of a voice guide. So what we do is we, the same codes and color uh, charts and things like that, that you would give to a designer, we give to writers. 
and we give them the exact emotions and the exact tones, not just like joy, but are we saying, are you happy, giddy, sprightly, ecstatic, content? We get really granular on the level of emotion that we're writing to. So it removes the doubt and it removes the, uh, the many opinions weighing in on how something should sound. And it gives very direct measurements that a writer can follow. And I mentioned before with the vocabulary, the tone and the cadence, everything is built around that. It's got to do with the average sentence length. It has to do with the emotions in your writing. It has to do with the, um, the level of vocabulary that you're using. Is it like something that's accessible by, by everyone? Or do you really have to be in the niche uh, to understand the jargon and the terminology that you guys are using? We define these levels and we set them. So it gives the writers guidelines to stay in lane and uh, get the brand right, but it doesn't eliminate their room for creative freedom to still get the message across the way they want it to. It almost sounds like this would probably be a really good, efficient way of being able to write copy because once you're sort of clear on who you are and how you talk, it might be easier to deliver the message that you need to deliver. Does that sound right? It is. It basically tells you if you're getting it wrong. It doesn't tell you exactly how to do it right. The writer still gets to use their skill to do that, but you know if it's off track and you easily can navigate it back on. It's incredible. So who invented these and how did this happen? It sounds like by the way that you're talking about it, you you took this idea of, hey, we have this for design. We should have this for voice. Did you invent it? Did you see someone else doing this? So it came from my partner, Abby Woodcock, and she was writing, her background is journalism. And brands had, the newspapers had AP style guides that would tell you where to use a comma, um, the capitalization of the headlines, the um, just the words that you use, how to abbreviate certain things. And then she started working for personal brands and realized that there were some differences between it. She was actually working for Ramit Sethi and realized that some of the writers were doing things differently. So she created a visual identity for that brand. And that became the way to have writers create content to all make it sound like it came from Ramit, even if it didn't. And that kind of got her uh, on the radar of things. And then she um, created the process for it. She began teaching it. I fell in love with it, um, kind of latched onto her like a leech, <laughs> learned everything that she had to offer, learned a lot of different other elements to it. And now her and I teach all of those, pro those processes and, and systems. I'm going to ask you a question that I usually don't ask my guests, but I'm going to ask you because this is a territory I really don't know. What's a question that I haven't asked or that people don't usually ask you that you wish people asked you about? I wish people asked why things are a little bit more. When you say more, what do you mean? Well, I guess when like why the rules exist, uh, why we write certain ways, why we all have this idea of why something should sound a certain way. And it has to do with, you have to keep asking why. And it's like the people who are adamant that you can't start a sentence with and or but. If you look in the Bible, they did. So what changed between that rule and then why we can't do it today? So I did look into this. I was like, why, why is this a rule? Because it used to not be. And it has to do with, uh, a British school professor in the 1800s who didn't like it because his students were overusing it. So he wrote a book that said, you can't do it anymore. And all of a sudden that became the rule. 
But for 1,800 years, it wasn't. And now it is. And now it's not again because people are realizing that it's perfectly fine to. It's literally just one person's opinion that shaped everything. And the more you begin to question the rules, we're not there to break them. We're just trying, we're there to understand why they exist and how to play within them, or maybe that different rules exist that you should be able to apply that will make things sound a little bit more unique and come across the way that you want them to. Well, Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Before you go, um, you've got this brand voice framework and I, I really appreciate you sending me a copy of it. it it's absolutely stunning and like as I was reading through it I'm like oh man this is this is very very interesting um, I, you know I've worked with a lot of different companies and I haven't seen something this elaborate that really can guide, get you where you need to go can you talk just a little bit about this uh, voice framework that you offer sure so the brand voice framework the vocabulary the tone and the cadence, uh, I've got a more playful version of it, and it's called words, tone, and, and frequency. So it's the WTF method. So it's defining WTF as your voice. Um, but I give you a, a practical brand voice framework that will help you define your voice, scale your content, and make all of your copy sound like it was written by one person, even when it wasn't. And it has links to a couple of free AI tools that you can use to begin measuring your copy and start pointing your writers in the right direction. Well, Justin, this thing's amazing. So where do, I mean, we'll have it in the show notes, but where does someone go get this thing? So the easiest place to find me and that guide would be prettyflycopy.com slash voice. I love the name, prettyflycopy.com. So that's amazing. So you guys can all get it at prettyflycopy.com forward slash voice. Justin, amazing episode. I, we'd love to have you back. Uh, maybe to talk about the social causes and talk about how that uh, factors in and maybe a couple different other approaches to voice and styles. But again, really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, hope to have you back soon. My pleasure.